Hi everyone, it's Corey Hickson, your host for Talking to the Internet. I just wanted to take a quick minute before we dive into this week's show to say thank you for listening to and sharing the first episode. Listening and sharing means more than you know, and it helps others learn about the show. My hope is that this show provides value by entertaining you and educating you. If you find value in the show, please share it and review it. If you want to connect with me personally, I'm at Hicksonerous on Twitter, and the show is at TTTI Podcast. If you want to support the show even further, you can leave a tip or set up recurring support via the links in the show notes or on the website. Thanks again for listening, sharing, and learning with me. Now, on to this week's show. Welcome, welcome to Talking to the Internet. It is my privilege and honor to have Stephen Hackett on the show today. Um, we're going to learn a lot from Stephen, I'm sure. I just, I'm just excited to have a, a good conversation. So Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. That's a lot of pressure. What if it's just a mediocre conversation? You know, there, there are no mediocre conversations <laughs> in, the world of, in the world of podcasts. It's just whether or not you skip forward. <laughs> That's a, those are wise words, Corey. I like that. One, thanks. I mean, you know, you, you, you have a lot to do every day, and I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you uh, being willing to share your story. Um, for those of us that listen to the variety of shows on Relay FM or um, follow your work at 512 uh, Pixels, we, we probably pick up things here and there. But what I'd love to do with the show and what, I, what my goal is with the show as, as it's unfolding and it's unpacking is really getting into the human side of, of talking to the Internet. Mm-hmm. Why do you do it? You know, less about how. I mean, I've heard about some of the hows and like some of your tutorial type things. Sure. Uh, I'm more and more interested in the what do you do? Why do you do it? What motivated you to get started? What kept you going? Hmm. Those type of things. So I think where I'd like to start and what, what was interesting to me is you, you majored in journalism, right? Yes. And then and then I'm guessing the next thing was 512 Pixels. Uh, so the, they overlap. So I started college in 2004. And I went – initially, I stayed at the same university, but I initially started in the art department earning a graphic design degree. That was my plan. It was to become a graphic designer. I'd done some of that in high school at the high school newspaper. At the time, I thought my design skills were better than my writing skills. I said, well, let me really focus on, on this. And at the time, at the, the university where I went, graphic design was really embedded in the traditional arts program. And so I had to take you know, figure drawing, painting – all these, all these sort of traditional art classes, and I really, really struggled in them. Um, and after a couple of years of just banging my head against the wall, I sort of met with my advisor, and he's like, look, this is how it is. You know, you, you got to go through these classes. And so I switched from the art department to journalism, basically started college over, because you know, basically none of my credits yeah. moved with me, because oh, yeah. I had all these art classes, and... So <laughs> it was really a, a really exciting time for me, <laughs> and uh, and I, so I started over really in, in 2006, and yeah, so I ended up earning a journalism degree from the University of Memphis, which is my hometown. I've always lived here, and I sort I didn't dual major really, but I dual concentrated. At the time, the J school was divided into concentrations, and it was based on output, which is totally different now, but at the time, it sort of made sense. So I dual concentrated in web and print, which basically just meant I took all the writing classes and then 
sort of the uh, skills classes, if you will, I did all the web ones and all the print ones. And so I learned Flash and Cork Express, neither of which are super helpful today, but <laughs> what you learned in 2008, 2009. Yeah. So yeah. I was in college a really long time. Uh, eventually, I ended, up, I ended up finishing, but I finished as a part-time student. Uh, we we had, my wife and I got married young. We got married in college. And our oldest son was born as I was wrapping up school, and he had some health issues. So I stepped away from school for a while, then went back and finished I actually started 512 Pixels in 2008, so I was still I was still in school. I started it about a, a little before the time our oldest son was born, and so they they really overlap. Uh, sort of the first couple of years, I actually ended up not finishing college until the end of 2010. So it took me a long time to get my undergraduate, which is not the way to do it. You know, there's always that joke of like people go to school for six years; they're called doctors, right? I was like, well. Also me, <laughs> but but I mean, if it if it got you to the to where you need to be, right? Oh yeah. Then some would say like that's that's an okay way to do it, right? Because I mean, I I teach, right? So I I see a lot of students that come in and they have no idea what they're going to do. Like they have no idea what they want to do. They have no idea what they're interested in. So you, learning while you're there is an expensive mm-hmm. way to learn, but at the same time, some people need that. So yeah, and I was I was really fortunate. You know, my parents didn't have money to send me to school, and so I had a full academic ride. And in Tennessee, there's like lottery scholarship money from like the state lottery. And yeah. my graduating high school class was the first class to get any of that that money. And so I could live on campus, buy my books, go to school, offer free. And then I worked at the college paper as the news editor for f- five years, uh, really just to pay for life. So, you know, to pay for groceries and had to have a car and, you know, to be able to go out on the weekends with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And so I did work through school, but I didn't work my way through school, if that makes sense. I was there on an academic ride almost the entire time. I had to give that up at the very end when I went part-time, but I was really fortunate to have the grades yeah. to be able to attend without you know, incurring a bunch of student debt or something. Yeah, okay. So, so you got started thinking about putting words out there, putting designs out there, you know, really young. Why? Like, what, what was interesting about that? Yeah, so really it was, I don't know told this story before, but really it was the high school newspaper. So my sophomore year of high school, I joined you know, the high school newspaper staff. At my high school, it was a really big deal. It was an award-winning, like nationally award-winning student newspaper. And I was really drawn to it. You know, my high school, you know, I'm from the South. I grew up in a suburb of Memphis, but not, not a kind of a blue-collar working suburb. So mm-hmm. it was a huge football school. It was a huge basketball school, but band and newspaper were also pretty popular. And I was just really drawn to newspaper and several of my friends and I, we all sort of applied at the same time. And I very quickly was drawn to the design side of it. In fact, I only wrote one front page article for the high school paper in the three years I was there. And it was only when I was a senior, when I was editor in chief. And finally the, it was like, okay, you can write a front page story. My writing skills really developed in college. But I, I was so drawn to the idea. I think a lot of people feel this way that a computer and and the Mac, in particular for me, was a a tool or a set of tools for me to share an idea. So I would have an article or a layout that I wanted to do, some piece of design, and the computer let me put that in the world. And so the high school newspaper we published every six weeks. When I went to college and started the college paper, it was four times a week. So every six weeks to four, you know, basically yeah. daily, it was a big change for me. But 
I was just so addicted to the feeling of like, I made this and now it's in the hands of a bunch of people and they're reading it, you know, and, and, and in terms of the newspaper, you go to class and you'd see it under someone's arm. And at the university, when it was, you know, near daily, it was also like in all the restaurants and bars around campus. So you go out on the weekend, like people are reading the Daily Helmsman, which is the name of the newspaper. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I made that with my friends and people are learning from it and they're enjoying it and it means something to them. They pick it up every morning. And that's sort of been what I've chased really for most of my career now is that feeling. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mine, like mine was technology as a way to connect with people and mm -hmm. technology as a way to problem solve. So I've said this before, but my, my computer teacher in high school used to break the network and then it was our job to fix it. And really <laughs> our motivation to fix it was so we could play unreal tournament or like that was, that was our whole goal was after school, we wanted to play unreal tournament. Right. So mm -hmm. we, we learned all that stuff as a means to do something fun. And, and really, if I think back on it, it had nothing to do or had less to do with the game. Cause I'm a terrible gamer and it had much more to do with the fact that I was in a room with six, seven other people goofing around, having fun, you know? So it's like, that's, it's cool to hear your story about, you know, that, communicating ideas and seeing that tangible yeah. product and technology as a way to do that. That's, that's awesome. And, and not to get on a too far down a rabbit hole. Um, but I really think that's what schools should do for people, right? Yeah. I feel really fortunate that my high school was one that had a program like that. And it had, you know, future farmers of America and there was an auto shop and there was a wood shop. And in a lot of sense, my high school was a very traditional high school and it still is actually, they still have all that stuff. And I was so glad that I found something that, I could plug into and that meant a lot to me. You know, I still have all those papers from high school. I still have a bunch of PDFs from my college paper that I, you know, was, was proud of. And, and it, it meant so much to me that not only did I earn an education, but I learned what I wanted to do with that education and I ended up having an IT career, which I'm sure we'll talk about. It took me a while to land where I am now, but I hope for my kids, you know, that they ex they get that experience in their education and, and for everybody, because that's, I think, what it should be about. It should be about equipping you to do something in the world, not just learning for learning's sake. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like for me, it was so meaningful to have a way to put the rubber on the road when I was done. Yeah. When we when we start our education show, you and I can come to back together and we can have, <laughs> okay. a, we can have a big talk about that. Um, I, I want to talk about five twelve pixels, right? And I want sure. to talk about why that was the outlet you chose to to go after first. Hmm. Right. So I mean you had the helmsman, which is good. Yeah. And and like that's but it's like a it's a machine that's running at the right. university, right? So you yeah. got involved in that. This was yours. Like you went out and said, I'm gonna do this five twelve pixels thing. Why? Yeah. So the the editor in chief one year at the Helmsman was still a friend of mine who still lives in town. He let me write a tech column once a week. I wrote it for about a year. And then I would just like pick something going on in the world of tech and like write a column about it. Of course, it was a print newspaper. So like God only knows how many people actually read it. Probably not many. But even then, I was sort of experimenting with the idea of I can communicate about technology. I can take these writing skills I'm learning and write about what I'm interested in. But in a lot of ways, 512 Pixels really is a... It's a it's a child of its time. So if you think about 2008, holy cow, it was 12 years ago. But blogging was really experiencing sort of a moment, especially in our little like Mac corner of the internet. You know, when mm -hmm. I started, it was before Mac Stories, before Ben Brooks spun up his site. You know, a lot of those 
people have been doing it less time than me, but there's also people who are doing it a lot longer than me. You know, Daring Fireball has been around a really long time. John Gruber's written that for a long time. And it's no secret that I and a lot of other people looked to what John was doing as a model to sort of do our own thing. And over time, all these sites are really different. We all have our own voices. There's things that I write about that he never would and vice versa, and it's all fine. It's not really competition. But... Five Twelve Pixels grew out of the time that I started it. And at the time, if you wanted to do this, the way you did it was a blog. And, you know, for a long time, nobody read it. Like the irony of Five Twelve Pixels is every year is its best year. I've never had a year where it's smaller than the year before, even though blogging is sort of <laughs> fading in a That's lot of corners of the internet. In, in the mm-hmm. Mac community, blogging is still kind of a thing but if i wrote a blog about almost anything else that i don't think that would be true but our little corner of the internet is still really into that you've got guys like gruber or michael sire or a bunch of others who have written a really long time and have a big back history and people just keep coming back which i'm really thankful for you know 512 has never paid my bills but it's always something that i've done because i want it to exist you know i write the stuff that I want to read and cover the topics that I want to to see and learn about. And if other people love it, that's fantastic. And a lot of people do, but it's not for everybody. And that's, that's totally fine by me too. Yeah. I mean, I had a um, advisor talk to me about one day about how writing is thinking. And it's like, I think podcasting would be the same way. I think creating YouTube videos is the same way, right? Like this idea of like creating a thing that you're going to put out there you're thinking about the thing while you're doing and and like you add in the element of like, I'm going to, th- I'm going to think about how to put it out there as well, sure. like what form to put it out there in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it encourages you. It requires you to think deeply about that, whatever, whatever it is. So to see it be a labor of love, it's like one of those, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this because I want to think about this and because I want right. to create this, this product. And it, it's a, it's a good model, I think for, um, the generation that's coming up right now, mm-hmm. that it's like, think about that thing, not because you're going to get famous or because it's going to be this big deal, but because it's going to put a cool thing out into the world and it it allows you to think about a thing or it, it requires you to think about a thing that you, whatever it is you want to think about. So it's a, it's a cool model. I like that. Yeah. And, and of course now there's all this like symbiotic relationship between it and the podcast, which yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about, but in the beginning, it really was that. And I, I think by writing, like I carry a field notes notebook around with me. So I have one. It's actually right here at my desk. I'm almost done with it. And I started it on February 21st. So like wow. I burned through these quick and it's yeah. just how I think, you know, uh, I think by writing and sketching and, and doing those things. And even something on, on 512 that's short, it's like a little linkless item where I just make a joke or I just sort of add a couple of sentences, you know, you may think, you may look at that and think, oh, well, that he just like did that on his phone while he was in line at the supermarket. And sometimes that's true. But very often, even those short little things, I really consider why I'm linking to what I link to, what I want to say about it. Some things I don't say anything about. Occasionally I will link to something and just quote something and not say anything. And that's me saying, I just want you to go read this and this is why. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I view even my lack of words sometimes as a statement and I want the site to be consistent, but I also want it to change over time as my views change. And, and look, everyone has things in their archive they're embarrassed about. I'm sure I've got plenty, 
but I want it to be consistent with who I am and where I am in that moment. And so even those short little things reflect, you know, what I'm thinking about, how I'm thinking about things in the moment. And those moments change. And over 12 years, there's been a lot of change, of course. I mean, the site started, you know, the iPhone was a year old. You know, we didn't have the iPad yet. Like, it's really started from a different era. The Apple Watch wasn't, it was like, you know, years and years away. And you can see those things and how I experienced them for the first time and how my views change on them over time uh, if you dig through those archives. And I, I like having that sort of historical record in a world where, you know, people, including myself, delete their tweets every once in a while. Yeah, it's like exactly. that stuff is just vapor. All right. So let's let's get into podcasting. Uh, from my research, from my knowledge, 512 Podcast was the first one. Yeah, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Um, yes. So, so <laughs> tell, tell me, tell me a little bit about the first time you talked into a microphone and why you decided to do that. Yeah. So the first time I ever did was actually a guest spot uh, on a couple of other shows, you know, a couple shows. One of them being Mike Hurley's first show called The Bro Show, which name did not age well, but it was a show <laughs> with him and his buddy Terry, who I'm friends with Terry too. Terry's awesome. They were talking about tech as just friends. They decided, hey. People podcast, we can podcast. Yeah, I'll let Mike tell his story, but they had me on as a guest in 2010, 2011 sometime, and Mike and I in particular really hit it off, and I became really interested in what he was doing, and he and I actually had two projects in those early days. One was Ungenius, which is a show that now lives on Relay, where we picked a Wikipedia article and talked about it, kind of explained it, talked about why it was weird. That first run of Ingenious was terrible, and it's like scrubbed from the internet, and you can't find it. I was going to say, can, can we find it? Is no, it anywhere? No. I have it like in a zip archive on my, you know, like on SSD in my computer, but uh, that's the only place it lives. Uh, and it was an experiment, and it just didn't work out. But the 512 podcast was me going to Mike say, I want to do a tech show. I want to take, I really want a companion to 512 Pixels in a podcast form where I can take things that I'm writing about and talk to them about, talk about them with somebody else. And I want that to be you, Mike. And he agreed and we were sort of off to the races. So, so how did he originally get in touch with you? Because it, he, they were doing the bro show, right? Like how did he find you? Uh, it was through the blog. He, I think he had come across my writing uh, okay. and we had communicated a little bit on Twitter. I listened to the show before I was on it because I was interested in the stuff, right? And the people he was talking to. And, and I think initially our contact was through the blog probably. And then we sort of talked on Twitter and it led to email and then, then I was on. Okay. So how, how did it, how did it go? Right? Like 512 podcast. How did it go? The 512 podcast was successful in the sense that it let me and Mike, I think, cut our teeth with that sort of format. Uh, you know, the bro show was a guest show. It was somebody new almost every week. Uh, the 512 show was really just, we're going to sit down every week and we're going to talk about whatever's going on. And of course, that's the recipe for a lot of stuff we do now. But it really proved to us that we could do it. Not in that it was successful. It was very, very small. But it sort of gave us a feeling that, hey, the two of us, we can work together and we think that we sort of can bounce ideas off each other. We communicate well. Our, our chemistry is good. And it, 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 but the most important thing about the 512 podcast is, is that it led to the prompt, which was the show that sort of really defined our career in our early years. And without the 512 podcast, I'm not sure that we would have been able to do that. 
Okay, and, and where does Command Space fit in there? Help me put all these pieces together. Sure. So Command Space was Mike's solo interview show. So uh, okay. It, okay. the bro show, Terry ended up ended up sort of leaving after a while, and Command Space sort of took over that role. So Mike was interviewing people in our sphere about the apps they were making, what they were writing, that sort of thing. So that okay, was so Mike's that... interview show. Okay, sorry, I got, I, got, I got mixed up. Forgive me on that one. Um, all right, so get me to the prompt. Look, there's then. a lot of shows. Like it's totally yeah. understandable. Uh, get me to the get me to the prompt. How did sure. like what was the transition like? Uh, not technically like, but like in your brain, you're going from <laughs> the five twelve podcast. You know, get us inside and go. Okay, we need to do this again, but we're gonna switch it up, change it up. You know, make yeah. it a little bit different. We're gonna do these things to it. Yeah, so this would have been the summer of 2013. It was the first WWC I ever went to. I remember that really clearly. And Mike's little network called 70 Decibels was not really being acquired, but being absorbed by 5x5, you know, a big podcast network out of Austin, Texas, run by Dan Benjamin. And as part of that, Command Space and some other shows were just moving from 70 Decibels, like the Pen Addict, which is still active on Relay FM to this day. They just released episode 400 not too long ago. Some of those shows went to 5 by 5 But with the 512 podcast, Mike and I both wanted to do something bigger with it. We really felt like we had a good, a good seed of a show, but it wasn't quite what we wanted it to be. And so Mike reached out to Federico Vitici, the editor-in-chief of Mac Stories. And they had been talking for a while about doing a show but Federico was really unsure about it, and they didn't really have sort of the idea. And so we pitched to Federico, join us. We'll rebrand the show. It won't just be about 512 Pixels. It'll be about 512 and Mac Stories and Apple News, all this stuff. But the three of us will do it together. And, you know, this was 2013. So this is, you know, ATP started about the same time. I don't know who was first out of the gate. That's probably uh, findable because the prompt – lives on and on Relay's website actually so you can probably find that out. But I, I was, bet you we could ask John. I bet you yeah, John it was would it was about it was very they were, you know, within six months of each other. But the the addition of Federico totally just blew up that show. And all of a sudden, so two of us, there were three of us, and that made the on air chemistry and the relationship between us way more dynamic. So the way that I think about to this day is very often, I'm on one end and Federico is at the other. <laughs> yes, and Mike is somewhere in the middle. And Mike's and, using a, Mike's using flip flip Android phones. Right. Yeah. Well, there's that too. But <laughs> you know, like Mac or iPad, right? I'm yeah, yeah. pretty staunchly a Mac user. Federico is the iPad guy. Mike's in the middle. You know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. but, you know, and we just we found that naturally that we tended to just move in those positions without planning, without talking about it. And we realized the audience really enjoyed it. The audience enjoyed our banter. Just not to say it wasn't awkward at first, and you know, those early episodes were a work in progress, but very quickly we really found our footing and the prompt really grew quickly. It was very quickly the biggest thing we had ever done. And it really just like the 512 podcast showed us that Mike and I could work together on a show, the prompt showed us that we could basically do what we wanted that we we knew what we were doing and that we had an audience big enough to to be bolder in things and and one thing the prompt also really showed us is that you don't have to play that sort of show straight like yeah you can go on and like 
read the headlines and give your opinion, right? There's room for that. And a lot of weeks we do that on Connected now, which is what the prompt rebranded to. But the prompt had, and Connected especially, has a level of silliness about it because we've we've been really close friends now for going on, you know, seven, eight years. We know each other really well and we know where each other's buttons are. And so sometimes I just walk up to Federico and I push his button, right? Because I want to. And it's not because I don't love him. I love him dearly, but I we do it on the show because we we know where our roles are. And the audience really very quickly fell in love with that. And and for us, it was a very organic thing. We didn't set out to make this show that was really about three friends just talking about Apple. Like we set out to be like a serious, like we're going to be the Apple podcast. Yeah. But we sort of fell into this other thing and we realized that our relationship was the driver of the show, not the news, not the rumors, not the headlines. And that means when there's no news, which is happens, you know, a couple of times a year, there's like very little tech news. It means we can fall back on, well, we can just do something else and, and it's fine, like because we have this relationship. You know, we're not newscasters reading a teleprompter, right? We're three buddies kind of just shooting the breeze, and there just happens to be tens and tens of thousands of people listening, is really how we think about it. And the prompt just gave us that that um I don't want to say knowledge. It gave us the confidence that yeah, I can see that we that we were onto something. And onto something that it took us a while to put our hands around it. We didn't really know initially why it was taking off, and we figured it out over time. But it really gave us sort of the the confidence to move forward and truly lean into those things that we thought were working. Okay, so I have two questions that came out of that. Sure. What was your metric for growth? You know, I mean, well, in podcasting, really the only metric is number of downloads, and so that that's obviously the metric and. You know, we knew what the 512 show had done, and we knew very quickly the prompt was almost immediately big just because it was on 5x5, five five, right? The network okay, effect meant okay. that we had sort of a built-in audience. But we tracked it over time, and we could see that over time it was just going up and up and up. But the other thing I really use to measure how successful a podcast is, is you got the numbers, but you also have the audience engagement. So it's, are people responding on Twitter about things that we talk about? Are we getting emails? Are people making apps and wallpapers based on jokes on the show. Like all of those things were happening. And before we knew it, we sort of had this whole like subculture of people listening to the show and like getting the in jokes and showing up in the chat room every week and like tweeting us things they saw in the real world. They wanted us to know about We could talk on the show, lots of feedback and follow up. And so to me, that's really almost a better metric because the numbers show you how big a show is, but the engagement shows how much people care about the show, right? It, yeah. I listen to podcasts that I never interact with the host online, right? Like I listen to it because I want to get something out of it. But then there's shows that I listen to, and then like I send the dude an email and be like, hey, that was awesome. Or I send you know, her a Twitter message saying, hey, I love this episode. This is why. Like, we all have that sort of stratification of interest. And the prompt showed us that that was a really nice thing to pay attention to and really showed us that audience engagement and interacting with an audience is a really important thing for a show to be successful in the long term. So so take yourself back there, right? When when it's growing and you know you're seeing both numbers and engagement increase. Like what are you what are you feeling at the time? Like as you're embarking on this, you know, new new thing. Mm-hmm. 
it it really at the beginning was just I can't believe this is happening like <laughs> because we didn't understand it we didn't understand we we understood that something was working but it took us a while to figure out what was working and so in those early months it was we're doing something right we need to you know try to figure out what it is but then you don't want to force it right you're playing all these head games at least I do of like well, if people like X, but if we do too much of X, they're not going to like it anymore because it's forced and like all of that stuff, right? So I was I was in that space a lot of trying to understand something and grow it organically, but not force the issue. Um, but really, the, the the overwhelming sense I remember and how I think about it now is we were so humbled that people cared about our little show and that somebody from the southern United States, someone from London, someone from Italy lives in Rome now that the three of us who at this point, I think Mike and I had met once, but I didn't meet Federico until 2015. Maybe I didn't meet him a couple years into it, that the three of us really were growing a relationship and that it was really humbling and honoring that people wanted to pay attention to that. And, you know, I just remember like being amazed and being so, excited that people cared not necessarily because it was going to pay the bills or anything but just that hey there's something going on here and it's cool just to be a part of it it's it's really funny that you you talked about a couple things both in that answer and in what you were talking about before i listened to the three of you and i Mm -hmm. feel like i know you right like or i feel like i'm i'm one of the club right and that's one (laughs) of the amazing things about um audio or video like even because it happens with youtube too it doesn't necessarily happen as much with me with writing like i can read a blog and still feel like oh i just read that article and it's fine i got the i got the information right but i didn't i don't connect with it as much Mm -hmm. but when you hear people's voices and i and we hear you doing that banter right and at the Mm -hmm. same time then talking about you know something legitimately or picking on each other about something but the problem with it is i don't know you like i don't know you i don't know Mike, I don't know Federico, like, I don't know anybody, but I feel like I do. So it's like, I want to connect with you in a way that's like, wait, that's not necessarily appropriate. Like hmm. you, you don't really, you don't really know them. And it's, <laughs> it's such a fascinating aspect of certain types of medium or yep. media uh, that I, I just, it's so interesting to me how that, how your brain does that. I think out of those mediums, audio is the most likely to cause this because, you know, yeah, like some people are posting an hour-long YouTube video, but if you listen to a handful of relay shows, you're spending three, four, five, six hours a week with us. That's a lot of time, and you're you're, but you're also doing it in different contexts, right? So, like, you're watching a YouTube video, you're probably watching on your phone, maybe in bed or on the couch. Like, you're in a mode of your okay. I know I'm sitting down to like consume this piece of content, right? Like, Quinn has a new video about the Mac Pro. I'm going to sit down and hit play. I'm going to watch him talk about the Mac Pro. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But podcasts are secondary. So you're washing the dishes, you're mowing the grass, you're working out, you're stuck in traffic. And so we're with you in everyday life situations. And that makes it a more intimate thing. And not like in a creepy way, but like it just means that we're more present. Yeah. And being on the other side of it, like... A, I totally have that about shows that I listen to, right? So, like, I listen to podcasts that we don't, lots of podcasts that we don't produce, lots of podcasts by people I don't know, but I feel like I know them, 
right? It's like, even though I know exactly what's happening because I'm on the other end of it so much, I feel that way, right? It's like, oh, like we could just have a conversation. Like, oh, you don't know me. I'm yeah. just a listener, right? Yes. It would be weird if I came up to you in a grocery store. Um, but being on the other side of it really is, it is humbling. That That's the word that really resonates with me, that people do care so much about just like, we're just talking about computers, right? Like in the, in the grand scheme of the world, it's not that important. You know, it's, it, there's a level of fun and escapism in it, which we're glad to provide sometimes everyone needs that, but you know, there's, everyone's got more important things going on. Right. But people invest so much in these shows and we take them on the road and do live shows and like, people come up to us and, Everyone is so nice, and like we've never had anything weird or bad happen. Like everyone's just genuinely excited, and that's so cool. Like it, it means so much to me that people care about the stuff that we make. Not because that, again, not because that pays the bills or anything, but because like we just want to make stuff that people feel yeah. connected to. Because the world is a busy place, and you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a crazy world, but. It's just something comforting about like hanging out with people who are interested in the same weird stuff you are. And the internet's perfect for that. Right? The internet is the perfect venue yes. for that sort of thing. And it means that just because, you know, like, you know, we've all been there. Like, you've had a bad day at work, kid threw up on your shoes, whatever it is. It's like, you know, I'm just going to like sit back and listen to something and sort of laugh about the MacBook Pro keyboard for an hour, right? Like, that's fun. And it's it's so neat to us that people feel that way about us because we feel that way about so many other people, right? Like if you look at the the roster on Relay FM, we work with so many people who I felt that way about and honestly still feel that way about today. Like if you had told me then that I'd work with Jason Snell and John Syracuse and Merlin Mann and Christina Warren and, you know, Florence Ion, all of these people who I've looked up to forever, I, I had that for them. And and now I'm lucky enough to get to work with them. And mm-hmm. so I think it's amazing that people feel that way about, about me. Yeah. So, okay. So you're doing the prompt, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's going well. You're on the five yeah. by five network. Mm-hmm. Did you do any other shows? Did you try to launch any other shows on five by five? We, I mean, so we being Mike and I, cause we were still sort of like bouncing ideas off each other, all that stuff. Um, so he had several other shows, but the prompt was really my project. I was working full time and didn't really have a lot of time for, uh, for anything else. And so the prompt was my sort of my show in the sense that that's where all my energy went. And, and a lot of like the creative direction from the prompt and especially connected comes from me. So like if you listen to the show and there's a joke or like something is in the edit, or like I did a show about a month ago where it was just like breaking news the whole time we were recording and like there was no way to put chapters in it because like we didn't we threw out the whole outline and just basically were like reacting in real time to the news and so I did a joke like like a bunch of 10 second chapters at the beginning basically apologizing for not having chapters in the show like that stuff comes from me okay um, okay but yeah the prompt I, I didn't answer your question the prompt was my only show in those days I didn't add anything else until we were well underway on the on the Relay FM bandwagon. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to divert us and then come back to that really quick. Perfect. Did you start the YouTube channel yet? Had you started the YouTube channel yet? No, that, that was much more recently. Okay, so okay, so you're at the prompt. Mm-hmm. Um, you're deciding, I don't want to get into the 
uh, the how as much. Sure. Right? Um, that's fine. That's good. It's just not you don't want a logic of what... pro tutorial. I was ready to go. I got like screenshots. And... <laughs> oh dear. Um, so so let's. <laughs> no get one into wants the... to listen to that. I promise you. Let's get into the why of you did that, right? Like so. Th- so it's going well. Yeah. And then you and Mike decide, hey, let's let's do our own network, right? Yeah. And let's let's expand this thing. Let's turn the dial up to ten or eleven. Mm-hmm. Why? It's a good question. And it, it's a question that has many answers. I think primarily we felt like we had success with the prompt and some of Mike's other projects. And we just felt like there's a window here to do something bigger. That we could take the prompt, we can take the lessons we learned from the prompt and apply them to other projects and kind of do things our own way. Now, it's not to say that Dan and 5x5 weren't open to our ideas or other projects. Like, we launched shows, new shows on 5x5. But there was something at the, end, at the end of the day where we wanted to take what we had learned and apply it to the whole stack and have our personality and have our values built into it top to bottom, like front to back all the way mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. And that really was the primary driver. It was not that we thought we could turn it into jobs that came later. It was not that we were trying to stick it to somebody or leave somebody in a bad position. Um, We had a good relationship with Dan, and he was very supportive in our move. But it really just came down to Mike and I felt like we, we, we know enough about this business to do this ourselves, and we want to do things the way we want to do them. And that was enough, and it was... You know, it was scary, but we really believed in what we were doing and we believed in each other. Mike and I truly are pretty perfect partners. You know, we are very different from each other, but in areas that we're alike uh, are the important areas. But we, we know where each other stands on things and we know that ultimately we have each other's backs where, and so we knew going into this because like initially he and I had this idea independently and we sort of came together and said, I've been thinking about doing a network with you. I've been thinking about doing a network with you. And then we just ran with it, but we knew that we wanted to do it together and neither of us would have done it. If the other person said, no, we were only going to do it. The two of us, because we knew that together we could, we could do it. We knew that together we were a, a team that, that we did not want to bet against. Okay. So what was, what, what were you scared about? You mentioned it was, it was scary. And I, yeah. I think that's a, that's a natural emotion, but like, what yeah. was the scary part? It was two things. One, we spent our joint life savings starting the company. Uh, and my wife was like seven months pregnant when we launched. So that oh, was, wow. it was financially Good scary. You. Good for um, you. She's very forgiving. Um, you know, we, we made big personal loans into the company. We were both working day jobs, right? But everything we had in the bank, all of our rainy day money went into the company. So it was scary from that perspective. But what, what really kept me up at night in those months building the company in secret was, what if we launch this and no one shows up, right? What if we're wrong? What if the prompt is a fluke or what if the problem is only successful because it's on five by five and we take it out of that environment, people won't care about it. You know, what if people, people had to resubscribe, right? We didn't forward the feeds, right? People Uh, got to resubscribe to the shows. What if just no one does it? What if no one cares? And we've built this thing and we've 
not only put money on the line and our reputations on the line, but we've in the process killed a good thing. To give birth to Relay, we had to kill the prompt and we had to kill those other shows. And that is the thing that kept me up at night. Like, this thing is working, right? So like a little Apple history. The iPod mini was a huge success. It was like the best-selling iPod of all time. And a year and a half later, Steve Jobs gets on the stage and said, it's the most popular MP3 player in the world. We're canceling it. And they released the Nano, which was a thousand times better, right? Very like ballsy Apple move. Oh, yeah. But I didn't feel that way. Like I was like, Steve Jobs knows what he's doing. I don't. And it was really scary to like drive a stake through the heart of things we'd worked hard on. But they had to die to give birth to this new thing. Yeah. And that's, that's very, what that's what was terrifying. That's a that's a really cool point, right? Like sometimes you just got to kill the old to take the new to the next level. That's really interesting. All right, so we're gonna fast forward a little bit here. Sure. Right, you launch Relay. Uh huh. You know things are going well. Yeah. Um, you're launching new shows. You're bringing in new, mm-hmm. um, uh, new hosts. You're you're getting different guests and stuff for the different shows. Yeah. Now you you're in this idea of like, okay, it, it's, it, it's too much work, right. To not be doing it full time. Mm-hmm. Or I, I think it's time to go full time. Walk us through that process about, okay, I'm going to go talk to the internet for a living. Like, yeah. or like, that's going to be my job. Well, a, a couple things happened. So I'm going to backtrack a little of the stuff you fast forwarded, but there were three things that showed us that relay was working. One, Jason Snell, when he left IDG, Relay was like two or three weeks old publicly. And he said, I want to do a tech show with y'all. Like, Jason Snell. Like I would have been Macworld growing up. Like Jason Snell, you know, like I still can't believe it. And him putting his faith in us and part of his, cause he was going out independent after Macworld, putting his eggs in the relay basket when the relay basket was two weeks old was astounding to us. And we saw very quickly out of the gate that we could add a show at two shows really with Jason and things all still work. Cause we really launched with five shows and mm-hmm. four of them had existed previously on five by five. Only one of them was brand new. So very quickly, Jason's on board doing new shows with Jason. Um, Rocket was another big instigator for this uh, with Simone de Rochefort, uh, Brianna Wu and Christina Warren. Again, people in our industry who have looked up to for a long time doing a tech show on relay. The three of them could work anywhere. They could be independent and be hugely successful with that show, but they wanted to do it on relay. And again, this whole thing of like, I can't believe I'm working with people I've looked up to forever. So did Um, they they come to you and pitch that or did you go out to them? Nope. They came to us. Okay. Um, And then we launched reconcilable differences with Merlin May and John Syracuse and Mike launched cortex with him and CGP gray the same day. And that was completely mind-boggling because overnight the network was doing twice the traffic it was doing before. It was a huge period of growth with those shows coming online. There's lots of other things like Mac Power users coming on. Like there's a lot. I don't want to downplay any of it, but there were several of these big moments showing us that things were working. Now, okay. yeah. I gotta pause you. I gotta pause. Sure, you. it's a lot are of you history. Not overwhelmed? Like I mean, are you? Are oh you yeah. Not? Oh yeah. Okay. It was completely overwhelming. I was working a job. I At this point, I was uh, director of accounts for a digital agency here in Memphis building websites and you know custom software for customers. I had really big projects at work. The owners of that company knew about this, but you know I was stealing time from work and 
working late nights, you know, I was rushing home to record the shows I was on and it was just, it was a lot to do. It was really Mm -hmm. two full-time jobs. And Mike ended up going full-time pretty quickly. Uh, He felt like for Relay to grow, it needed his full-time attention. And Mike is still to this day in charge of the sales process at Relay. So he sells all the ads. And we felt like if we're going to sell enough to make this sustainable, you got to do it full-time. And we had made our money back that we had paid ourselves you know, from the beginning where to put our life savings in the company, the company paid us back. So he took that money and used it as runway to quit his job. He was, had a successful career in finance, quit his job to do this. And we saw growth through that. Uh, but for me, it was a little bit different at the time. Mike wasn't married. I was married. I had three kids, had a mortgage and, um, my wife didn't work for a long time. And it was really scary because like, you know, to quit a job and let go it on your own and pay for your own insurance, which in America is a nightmare, uh, all those things. But eventually in the summer of 2015, so about a year after we launched Relay, I was able to go full time with it coming up on five years ago. Okay. If, if you're willing, put me at the, I'm, I'm imagining that you sit down at the dinner table, yeah, right? And, and your wife's across the dinner table from, from you and you go, okay, I think I need to quit my real job and go into yeah. this this thing that up until now has been a really successful hobby. Mm-hmm. Like what is, what's that conversation like? Yeah, it was really not anything you would imagine. So I'd gone to WWC that year, which is Apple's developer conference for people who aren't aware. It's in June every year in California. I've gone every year since 13. On that trip, Jason Snell, David Sparks, and Mike sat me down. We're like, you really need to consider going full-time in the business. Like you really can't make this successful for what you want it to be doing it part-time. And they really, I mean, they really put the the screws to me about it. And I'd already been thinking about it. And by this point, you know, early, early 2015, my income from relay was slowly approaching what I was making at the agency. And I was making a good living there. And, you know, over the summer, I was making the same, right? So I, I could walk off one lily pad onto the other, and we'd be making the same amount of money. So that was already going on. I didn't have the risk Mike did where Relay wasn't making very much yet, but he needed to do it. You know, he he stepped off a bigger ledge than I did, even though mm-hmm. I had a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so when it was time to do it, so I came back from WBDC and just back into work, and I was miserable and you know, burning the candle at both ends and the middle, really stressed. And I just realized that this was the time to do it, that if it's going to happen, it needs to be now. And so I came home from work one day and I told Mary, I was like, you know, we've been talking about it. It wasn't a surprise to her. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't like, <laughs> like, Hey, by the way, well, I, I didn't she, expect, I, mean, I didn't expect that, but it's like, sure. I'm thinking about it with my wife, right? Like if I came home and said, Hey honey, I'm going to, quit my, real, yeah. my full-time job, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it, it because we were making the same through Relay and through my job, she knew that, right? Like she she saw all of it. And so she understood that it was in a place where I felt like it was, it was safe to do it. And her response basically was, yes, you should do it. You should have done it months ago. <laughs> um, but just really excitement for me and Mike because, it, you know, the company was turning one. I was going to do this about the same time. And she really knew that I'd been working because we've been together since we were in high school. She was there when I launched 
512 pixels when I did the first podcast. She she is, was in all of that. And she knew the late nights that I was up worrying about the company. You know, for a while, like, is 512 pixels ever going to take off where I can leave my job and just blog, right? Like, that never happened. But she had lived through all that with me. And so she was really excited that I could finally, like, become a content creator, like, in the way that I wanted to. You know, she was just really excited. And so I told her the next day I went into the, the boss's office and I said, hey, look, you know, you know about this thing. I don't think it's any secret that has been successful and it's time for me to go do this full time. And they were extremely gracious about that. And so I sort of, over the course of the summer of 2015, wound down my job at the agency, which took a long time. We had projects and stuff. Slowly wound my way out of that job and, and into Relay and 512 full time. There's a thousand more questions that I want to ask, but there, there's it would, we would go too deep into, into too many things. So I'm going to keep us moving, but just know that there's a thousand more questions I want to ask there. Um, talk to me about the YouTube. We're thinking talking to the internet, right? So talk to me about starting the YouTube channel. You have Relay going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't post my first video to YouTube until, I'm looking at the video now, uh, January of 2016. So it was about six months or so after I'd quit my job. Quit my job in 20, summer 2015, January 2016, I started the YouTube channel. I really started it because writing had been my a hobby and podcasting had been a hobby, but all of a sudden they were my job, right? Like my mortgage being paid from podcast ads and the blog. And I suddenly realized that I didn't really have anything that was a hobby or I really wasn't learning any new skills. Like at this point I was pretty proficient in recording and editing and pretty decent writer. I was like, I, I want to find something to push myself. And and so that's really where the YouTube channel started and really where it stays today. It is purely in the I do this because I want to do it category. And, you know, I thought it was a really interesting way to show off. Like I've got a Mac collection, a lot of 5 pixels is about Apple history. I thought it'll be a really cool sibling to the blog of like, hey, I've written about this laptop and now I can show it to you. Right? I can show you how the doors worked and how the keyboard sounded and what it looked like and how heavy it was and I can make jokes about it and – for me, it was just an extension of the writing. And in the early days, very often there'd be a blog post and a video go up at the same time. They were like one package. And it was just like, this one's on YouTube, this one's on the blog. That's changed over the years. But for me, it was just, I, I wanted to explore this world. And not that I want to become a YouTuber, but I just wanted, I felt like I, could, I had an opportunity to share stuff that, you know, most people don't have. 150 max in their collection. I do. And so I feel like I can share this stuff and people will be interested in it. And, you know, I can create some content that most people can't and just sort of wanted to play around with cameras and Final Cut Pro and all that stuff. So which, which medium is your favorite? Uh, my heart says writing. You know, I think at the end of the day, I consider myself a writer first, which is weird because I own a podcast company my income is podcast related for the most part. But even in the podcast world, I spend hours and hours writing and prepping for each each yeah. of those shows that I do. Mm -hmm. And for something, so say something like Flashback, my newest show that I'm doing with Quinn Nelson, we're talking about failed tech products. Show's an hour long. I've got 10 hours in research and writing, right? Like it's it's not fully scripted, but it's heavily outlined. And... To me, that's where the the 
they're, they're, it's all fun, but that's really kind of where I light up still is that writing and research phase. And so I think, you know, if, if all this went away tomorrow that I would still have the blog and I would, I would write it as long as I possibly could. Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting, you know, nuanced point to making these things. It's you all do a lot of conversation, conversational shows, right? Where sure. you have this conversation style, but like, there's a whole back end to that conversation, right? Like there's, there's reading and there's, you know, taking notes and thinking about flow and organization and things like that. So it's not just, I mean, there are certain shows I'm sure where you just sit down and talk, but then there are these shows where there, there's so much preparation that allows you to then go sit down and talk and make interesting content. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I can't speak for every show on relay, but every show that I'm on, none of them are just sit down and talk. I mean, even connected, which we go way off the rails, we've got a four or five page Google doc with the topics we want to talk about. We've all put thoughts in there. There are things that we want to make sure we hit and, you know, the ads are in there kind of breaking up the flow of the show. That doesn't mean that we won't lift from it if something happens or like somebody just says something and then we're obsessed with that for the rest of the hour. That happens all the time. But even connected, which is the most conversational show I'm on is heavily prepared for it. It may not seem like it. And sometimes we throw it all away, but it's always there. And Mm -hmm. so every, we record that every Wednesday at lunchtime, my morning, every Wednesday, I'm in that Google doc, you know, with Mike and Federico, we're in iMessage talking about sometimes we'll get on a call and be like, Hey, you put this in there, but I really want to pair it with this next week. And like, we, we work at that. And I think that's why our shows do as well as they do. I think if you show up, and you're, you know, you just hit record and what comes out, comes out. There's, there's a place for that, but it's not what we want to do. We yeah. want to put that effort in. Cause for me, just how I feel, I don't want to describe this to anybody else. Um, I know Mike and Federico feel this way. The people I work with feel this way, but in the broader podcasting world, it's not necessarily true, but I feel like if I just show up and hit record and whatever comes out of my mouth comes out, like that can be fun. And like, sometimes magic can happen. But it feels disrespectful to the people who put their time into our shows. From a listener perspective, um, it it builds a sense of trust, right? Like because I know you all have researched well. I know you mm-hmm. all have done the background, and I can't do that for everything. But I can come to your show, and I know that I'm going to get my Mac stuff from Steven. <laughs> I'm going to get my iPad stuff from Federico, right? And then I'm going to get really interesting but i'm not sure and it's a kind of a combination of the two from mike you know it's like so and i can trust that and that that, that's that's one of the huge values of that so keep doing Mm -hmm. it like my my encouragement is keep doing yeah look it's hard right like my life would be easier if i had more shows like that right like mac power users and flashback in particular take a lot of prep time ungenius which we have we brought back so the deal with ungenius is i told you we had it way back in the day mike and i's handshake deal was that when we both were full time, we would bring that show back. It took us a while. We finally did it, but we just published episode 100 not too long ago. And that show is fully scripted. I write, I write the jokes in that show. I write the pauses. <laughs> like it is fully, it's like a movie script, but that's the character of that show. Yeah. yeah. But something like Connected Right, it's guideposts. It's things we wanna, these are gates we wanna ski through going down the hill. And sometimes they get dropped or we add things in as we go. But we want to, we want people to know that when they show up with their time, we've put more time in it than they do because that's our job. Our job is to produce something that people enjoy, 
they find educational, they learn. Like uh, You could hopefully know everything you need to know about the Apple universe just listening to a handful of relay shows. And because not because we will go out and do the work. We will go out and try the apps and talk to the developers and read the rumors and look up the history and, and all of that stuff. So our audience is going to show up and hit play when they're mowing the grass and have a good time. And if we do that well, then the shows do well. So what keeps you going? Ooh. Right? I mean, it's a lot of work. It's, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of stress to it. I'm sure there's a lot of interesting comments that get made and sure. you have to figure out how to process those. Like what keeps you moving? Just that I get to make stuff that I love with people I care about. That the the people on Relay, now, you know, I know some of them better than others because we're a big company now. But in particular, the people that I do my shows with, that I care about them. I mean, we are all friends. They care about me. And not just in the sense of, oh, we do this project together. But, you know, if we know someone's kid is sick or someone's going to go on vacation, like we... we we are talking all the time off the air, right? Like my, my iMessage conversation with, with Federico and Mike is ridiculous. It's all day, you know, cause we, even though we live in different countries and we only see each other a handful of times a year at best, we care about each other. And so that is what keeps me going is that these relationships I have with the people I work with and, and the audience too, you know, I've got tons of friends in the audiences that, that I've gotten to know over the years but I get to do this with people who I want to do this with. And that makes things like figuring out what kind of company to start. How do you do it with an international partner? How do you have an accountant in two countries? Like all that stuff <laughs> yeah. like that makes yeah, a company yeah. work. It meant learning all that stuff and doing all that stuff on an ongoing basis. That's fine with me because several times a week I get to launch Skype. I get to talk to people I care about, about things that I care about and, that's the best job in the world, you know, and it's not to say it's not stressful. It's all that stuff. Like any, like any other job is even your dream job can be stressful. But the fact that we just get to make stuff together that people love, man, that's, that's all I want from it. It really is. Yeah. All right. So you open up your email. Yeah. You get the, you get an email that says, Steven, uh-huh. I want to, I want to start talking to the internet. Sure. I want to make podcasts. I want to make yep. YouTube videos. I don't know what I, I get those do, emails I every day. Yeah. <laughs> What do I do? What advice can you give me? It, I think you just have to start. It, when we started, in hindsight, it's easy to connect the dots, right? It's easy for me to sit here with you for an hour and talk about, well, we did this show and it led to this show and it led to this opportunity. None of that was planned. None of that was mapped out. But... um but because we showed up and because we did the work when no one cared, it gave us those opportunities. And you can't have those opportunities if you don't show up. If you never hit publish on the first thing, you're never going to get anywhere. And yeah, the first thing is probably going to be bad, right? There's a reason Ungenius Season 1 doesn't exist. It's a reason my first YouTube videos are really bad. But if you show up and you improve, you'll find an audience. Um so that, that's sort of step one. It's like, just just do it. Like, the hardest word to write is the first word. The hardest podcast episode to publish is episode one. After that, it just gets easier. Nice. All right, you ready for the unlightning round? Sure. Now, this used to be the lightning round, mm -hmm. but based on past experience, it's a terrible lightning round yeah. that 
you know, doesn't go no, very lightning. I, so I here we go. We're, we're the idea I, because lightning rounds never work. <laughs> yes. The unlightning round overall, what's your favorite content on the internet? Like right now? Right now. Uh, I would probably say tech reviews by MKBHD. Okay. Overall, your favorite personality on the internet. Uh, I love John Lovett from Pot Save America. He is funny. He is genuine. He gets angry. He wears his emotions on his sleeve, but in a way that I that I don't do, but in a way that I really respect. That he's just authentic in what he talks about. And you know, it's a podcast show to take it for that. But I love listening to him and what and what what he makes. A creator show or some content that you would consider on the rise, something people should definitely check out? I would definitely say Sarah Dietschy. She's a podcaster. She has a show called That Creative Life, and she has a YouTube channel. She's already successful. Like She's not super up-and-coming. But on YouTube in particular, is people much bigger. But Sarah's doing super interesting things exploring the world of creation. So talking about how you make things, why you make things, her process in that is transparent to her audience, and I find her content really refreshing. I agree. Uh, I agree with that one very much. All right, so you're only allowed to listen to one show or watch one YouTube channel. Which one do you choose? Between listening to a show or YouTube? Uh, no. Or... Let's 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 edit that one. So you're only allowed to listen to one podcast. Uh-huh. Which one do you listen to? Accidental Tech Podcast. Okay. And then now, the most important question, the piece de resistance. Oh, boy. As the resident Apple historian, mm-hmm. the Mac guy, Right, the knower of all things that you type on that have an Apple. You're logo really building on them. me up here, buddy. Okay, <laughs> what are you doing? What on earth? What on earth does somebody do with an old iMac G4? They display it on their mantle, so when their friends come over, they know they are cool. Well done, sir. Well done. Mm-hmm. The unlightning round is now officially. I feel like over. that went pretty quick. You did. You did. by far the by far the fastest yeah. I've had. I'm a pro. So. Yeah, you you like you actually had a response, not queued up, but like fairly close in the brain. Yeah, I didn't know what these um, like in the Google Doc. It's sort of this outline that we've gone through. There are no yeah. all it says is the unlightning round. It's like I don't know what that is. I don't know what you're going to ask. I mean, who knows? Yeah, my, the only other one that I'm interested in is dog cow. Yeah, so uh, yeah. you should go to five twelve pixels dot net slash dog cow to learn about it. I did a video did a, a long article. I have a tattoo of it. So the dog cow is this little story in Apple's history. So like Susan Kerr was the original designer on the original Macintosh, like the software designer, and all the glyphs and the menus and everything. One of the fonts was called Cairo. It was like a kind of like a dingbats font. You know, like there's not letters, it's characters, right? So there's a, you know, I don't know, a circle, a square. Anyways, the Z character was this little animal that looked like a dog and a cow smashed together. And for some reason, it just people with an Apple loved it. And there's all this history about it. And it is still around today. It's actually like the the Apple Apple has a sticker pack of like old Mac icons that's in there. Um, and I have it tattooed on the inside of my right ankle. Nice. I've heard like I've, I've seen a lot about this dog cow, but I was like, yeah. I don't even know what the deal is. with this. Yeah, yeah. So, that page um, is like that page, including. So I emailed with some of the guys who wrote the original documentation about the dog cow. Like there's this whole lore around it. Okay. And they saw the video and emailed me about it. And so I, I got permission to republish a lot of their emails. So like that page has everything you need to know. Awesome. 
fantastic. I recommend everybody go check that out. Uh, Steven, I can't thank you enough for your time. I can't thank you enough for, you know, kind of sharing um, a different side of, of the story um, about talking to the internet. I can't thank you enough for doing the work that you do online. Uh, folks, if you want to check out uh, Steven's work, there are a bunch of places to do that. 512 Pixels, uh, Relay FM, uh, re- the 512 Pixels YouTube channel. Uh, am I forgetting any? That's, uh, that's the big ones. Thank you. Well, thanks for teaching us. Um, for everybody that's out there, listen, out there listening, thanks for learning with us. Um, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been a Shwa Shwa production.